Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hey, What's happening? Not much, man. So, what's significant about the day that this show airs? May the 4th be May with the <laughs> So, I've always wondered about that. It's like, am I supposed to say that like a, like a speech impediment? May the 4th be with you? I don't think so. No. May the 4th be the with fourth. you. May the 4th be with and you. And then tomorrow is Revenge of the 5th. Cinco de Mayo. And then this whole month, this is the May. This is the May. This is the May. Ah, I heard that one. It's new. I heard that one. This is the May. <laughs> That's right. For all you Star Wars fans out there. <laughs> and you thought you were going to get away with that thinking because you weren't going to tell me what your thingy was to talk about at the beginning. No. Dun, 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 oh, you got a note there. You made a note. All right, enough with the Star Wars garbage. Yes. I like Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, uh, yes. Passed away. Yep. Big canoeing guy. Yes, he was. Yep. Yeah. I believe his yellow canoe, I can't remember that. I can't remember the name of it. I think that's in the Canadian uh, yeah. Canoe Museum. Um, Is it? Oh, yeah, and he was a singer as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I hear, that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, something about, you know, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Canada's, and, Canada's Poet Laureate. Yeah. They said that it's just the way he wrote. It was like it was like magic on, like if you read it, like you, you listen to it, it's like magic on paper. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dame Edna. Yes, I had Barry you had Humphreys. To re- you had to remind me of who she was. Yes. Yeah. He, he. I. You know what, like... Dame Edna, Benny Hill, there's just yeah, certain yeah, yeah. British that comedians era. that just, just yeah. you know. Um, I remember seeing one thing with Dame Edna coming in and Charles and Camilla are sitting in this. It's like the Lincoln Honors, but in yeah. over, in, over in England, I guess, whatever the big theater is that they're in. And she comes in, sits down next to Camilla, and some guy comes, taps her on the shoulder, hands her a card, and... Uh, she turns to Camilla and goes, oh, they found me a better seat. <laughs> of course, Charles is killing himself laughing and, and everything. Camilla's laughing. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, the Charles, King Charles III, his... It's this weekend. There's a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking to start with? A C. Yes, yes, yes. They're coming out of the woodwork. Well, no, there, there's a lot of... People that are not happy and, yeah. and just complain about stuff for the sake of complaining. Some dude was throwing loaded shotgun shells over the fence at Westminster uh, Westminster Abbey. Westminster, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the soccer clubs had the entire audience, like the, the stadium, yeah. singing basically stick it up your, huh. the coronation, yeah. the whole deal. People over here are saying, Charles doesn't really paying much attention and whatnot to Canada. And Canada, Canadians are really not caring about him right now It doesn't either. affect us one way or the yeah. other, so just let it be. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's, have you seen the, the big uproar about the uh, his invitations to the, mm. uh, the coronation? I heard some scuttlebutt. There's, uh, the bottom of it has, there's a whole bunch of things in the border around this invitation. Mm-hmm. And the big thing is the, they're calling the green man. It's a pagan imagery thing oh but all of it's like environmental and stuff yeah, yeah, around yeah. the edges and all these different things and that's what everybody's of course you know being the king of england is he not supposed to be the head of the english church 
I, mm, I don't know if they do that anymore. Do they not? I, I, I could just be blowing that up yeah. my butt. I don't know. But I thought he was like back in the, cause I think back in the day, well, the Protestant the church and that, right? Back in the day. Yeah. I don't think that's a thing anymore though. Is it not a thing anymore? I don't know. I'm sure we'll hear lots back. Um, you guys are idiots. You guys have no clue. We, we honestly don't have any no, clue what we're no, talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember history from grade 13 back 30 years ago. <laughs> That's what I'm working off of. <laughs> I, I, I care just enough to listen when people talk about it, but not enough to actually do my own research. Tra- you know what? Tracy's, Tracy's a big Royals watcher. And you know what? I, I like watching them and find out what's going yeah, on. Yeah. I don't get invested in it. Like the, the, the Harry Megan thing is yeah. is. 60 miles to the left <laughs> and I'm going yeah. in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. Right, sort of thing. I, I really don't care about all that garbage. But, you know, I mean, I was like upset when Elizabeth died. Yeah. You know, that sort of deal. I was, that was sad, you know. But uh, it's more the, the history of it's, it's the royals tradition, as... Tradition, the history. Yeah. The, it, there's, yeah. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of this, this history. It's just, it's staggering that, you know, like we think of Canada as like, 159? No. 160. How old is Canada now? Well, it was 150. How many years ago when we it, went was out that, west? Was that 2015? 67. Yes. Yes. 17. 2017. 17. 2017. 1990. Yeah. 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 So, 150 somethings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't add. A bunch. Don't ask me math. <laughs> <laughs> ask so me science. You think about that and you think about the, 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 our limited history in this country. And then you think about, you know, like apparently at the time, you know, the song London Bridge is falling down. When, when London Bridge, it caught fire, burned, collapsed, fell. That, that had been standing for 800 years when that incident happened. And that's like, what? And that's when the guy, you heard what happened, eh? The guy that was the guard. He had to go up to that board, rub it off, put a zig zero. And zero zero days without, days without an accident. <laughs> 800 years. Ah, way to go, Fred. Life was cheap back then. I don't think they ever made it to the double digits. <laughs> oh, speaking of traditions, the Leafs broke a tradition this year. I know. They're making it to the second round of the hockey playoffs. When's the last time they made it to the second? It's been like 19 years yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Hmm. That's like, wow. Yeah, my Islanders are out as well first round. Are they? At least they made it to the first round. Because who else is, who's who's in? So. Least Florida. Uh, Florida. Seattle. No, I don't care about the American teams. Oh. Um, Montreal. No, no, no. I think it's just uh, Toronto and Edmonton. Just Toronto and Edmonton. Yeah. Hmm. I think. Well, there you go. I, I don't follow that. And I, I, I follow one team. Yeah. Uh, so Islanders. Once, yeah, once they're out. Yeah. You Did you know it's baseball season now? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think the Jays are losing again. Oh. They've not done too bad. They broke the uh, the Rays' uh, streak. The Rays had... Uh, Won all 12 of their games until they came up against the Jays. I think the Jays are third in the East right now. Yeah. Yeah. Not doing too good. They've got good hitters, just not really good defense. Eh, what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Anything. Should we, we, should, uh, we should move on to something that's paddling related. We haven't talked a single shred of... Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> Hello. He had a canoe. Oh. <laughs> you, you just well, and hockey. What's the other word for a goalie stick? <laughs> Paddle. <laughs> See, 
You just aren't paying attention. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I missed the connection. You just missed the connect. Oh, we're going to have to start this show all over. I'm just going to have to hit stop, rewind, start again. That's too much work. Just keep recording. <sighs> Way to go, Derek. <laughs> just totally messed up the flow. Um, we've talked about ticks every year for the last six years. Yes. A couple of times every spring and summer we talk about ticks. Yep. I guess it's that time again. It is that time. Now, there's this article. You sent me this one because you're stuck more on ticks than I am. Well, or ticks stuck see, on you. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So I've got, I've got auto Google searches. So I get alerts every day for, for various things, right? And mm-hmm. ticks, Algonquin Park, and stuff like that are some of the things that pop up. Speaking of Algonquin Park, mm. they just did a prescribed burn in the airfield. Did they? The Mew Lake oh, Airfield. Yeah. Yep. Yep, they do it every so often. I guess that means the snow's gone out of the airfield. <laughs> or someone is really good firebug. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three feet of snow? I got this. <laughs> Give me that lighter. I can make this work. <laughs> I want him on the uh, next canoe trip I'm on. That's, you know, five days of rain. Yeah, five days of <laughs> rain. Let's start the fire. I need to cook this steak. Yeah. Uh, in Quebec, there oh. are about a dozen species of ticks of the around 40 different species in Canada. And I don't know what it is about the the Quebec climate or so and so you know what it might not be climate. So it's either climate or it's that there's more reporting in Quebec. Could be. But it's more the fact that there's 40 species of ticks in Canada. Yeah. I don't think I've ever come across that number before. Well, I I've seen that number before in that range. In the high 30s, low 40s, but uh, you only really, we only ever really talked about the uh, the black-legged deer tick mm-hmm. because of if it, its ability to carry uh, Lyme disease. Yeah, that's the one that gets all the, yeah. the highlights. Yeah. Uh, Did we talk about the deer blood? Yeah, remember we were talking we about going talk about- chasing down deers and biting them? <laughs> yes, 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 okay, there we go. Using deers like a juice box? <laughs> yes. Had <laughs> that straw. Three episodes ago. Go back yeah. and listen to it. <laughs> uh, those around four interact with humans. Out of the ten species, uh, the, the, sorry, the dozen species, four interact with humans. Most concerning being the black-legged tick, which is the deer tick, that can carry Lyme disease. Like you say, that's the biggie. Uh, ticks and the black-legged tick that everyone is talking about do very much like humidity cool weather so there's uh, as soon as there's no more snow cover on the ground they will begin their activity says bishops university professor jade savage who runs the website etic which monitors tick activity across the country you can actually go to etic.ca and submit a photo of a tick uh and where you found it and stuff like that to help them track where these things are going but we'll get into that there a new species that public health authorities are monitoring will concern with concern is the Lone Star tick, which we've talked about before, that it was in the States and they were saying it's probably going to make its way up to Canada. It has been spotted in Quebec, uh, but it's not yet established north of the border, the U.S. border. Yeah. Climate change and habitat laws are making it almost inevitable that the Lone Star Tick that typically lives in southeastern United States and Mexico will show up more often in Canada. 
It's definitely not something anybody wants to see established in Canada, but the probability of this happening is relatively high, Savage says. Lone Star ticks were reported in Ontario twice so far in 2023, around two dozen times in 2022, and their species has been reported five times in Quebec since ni- uh, 2017. Which realistically isn't a lot. So, because I mean, honestly, honestly I, I those, see it as a lot. Those ticks could have come in. You could somebody could have come with that sure. from Mexico, sure. and boom! Oh, look what's that? Kill. And that was yeah. it, it. Was in the country for all of two hours. <laughs> you know, you don't know. So I see it as a larger number, just because statistically, it. Uh, I don't know where I saw the numbers at, but they say that uh, like ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of the people who come across ticks do not report them. Right. Most people don't even know. They just see it. They flick it off or they see it's burrowed in. It's like very rarely do people actually say, hey, take a picture of this thing. Send it in. Well, that's because no one's really saying where to send it to. I know they say if you find one in you, Mm -hmm. then take it off, put it in the baggie in the freezer. And then if you go into the doctor because you're all of a sudden not feeling well. You have some evidence. Then you you can take it to them. If you see a tick, the best advice is to take a picture of it, submit it on the eTick site, which is eTick, E-T-I-C-K dot C-A. Yeah. Someone from the site will contact you and advise you of what action, if any, to take. There you go. Weird. They say, hey, we've, we recognize this, we recognize that. This mm-hmm. is what, Yeah. Montreal Public Health issue has a prescription for pharmacists to offer post-exposure prophylaxis to anyone bitten by a tick that may have contracted Lyme disease. Cases of Lyme disease continue to rise. Quebec reported 125 cases in 2014, 304 in 18, and 709 in 2021. Hmm. So, I mean, that's seven years. That's a that's a big rise, right? Yeah, it's it's gone from 125 to over 700. Also, like you, you, when you read statistics, you have to be careful what numbers you're reading because like we know that the number of people that are using the backcountry, I don't know about Quebec, I just know mm-hmm. Ontario. <clears throat> Again, you got to really look at the numbers. But uh, there's a lot more people out in the backcountry now, and a lot yeah. more people that are getting out and doing things because of post-COVID and whatnot, and a lot more people are in more healthier habits. And, and so it, there's more interaction with the wild, so... So there, there's that effect on the numbers. You're going to actually see an increase in number because of more people out there. But you know, it's 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 still a bigger number. So it's you know, all in the end it is it is a bigger number of people being affected by it. Also, the expanding deer population in Quebec means more ticks, more Lyme disease. Ticks travel on many animals. Savage says the size and range of deer make them ideal ways for ticks uh, for insects to travel. And I mean, even still, you see like the ticks on moose. And how many, like in the spring, what like up and up? What is that? Those things get as big as grapes. Right? Deer are literally like tick buses. They are very suitable habitat for the ticks, and because they travel long distances, they definitely contribute to the distribution of ticks from different types of habitats. And the deer get closer to urban habitats; they will bring the black-legged ticks with them. Okay, but keep in mind that uh, the previous thing that we read was that uh, ticks that feed on deer 
cures the bacterial infection that the ticks are carrying. And so the ticks would have to feed on mice again to get the Lyme disease back into their body and then bite a human. So the, unless, deer, the deer transport them, but they get the Lyme disease from mice. Unless the deer transport them, but the tick doesn't actually bite the deer. He's just on there for the ride. He, he's he's just going for the dance, not the dinner and dance. The caravan, right? <laughs> it's, it's the caravan. It's a tick caravan, it's, right? Hanging out with his buds. <laughs> I'm going to the bar. Can I get you anything? No, I'm good. I'll just I'm, jump off the I'm next stop. Yeah. I just I just I just fed on three just, mice. See, <laughs> so you don't know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like you say, the the statistics you got to be careful where they are. But it's de- the they're definitely the Lone Star ones. Like I say. So the Lyme disease mm-hmm. ticks was first reported about 30 years ago. Yeah. Right? Okay. So if you're saying that the Lone Star ticks are now starting to yes. cross the border yes. in 30 years. It'll be prevalent. Because the Lone Star tick is the one that doesn't let you digest the proteins, right? The, is that- the meat and stuff, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. So you, you get bit by one of those. Suddenly, you're off of proteins. Yeah. Hmm. In 30 years, we'll all be vegetarians. Well, I'll be dead in 30 years anyway, so I'm I don't. I don't have to worry about it. Not me. 121, <laughs> buddy. Plan to be 121. <laughs> I let you in at my birthday party, but you'll be long dead at that point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um. Out is it outdoor magazine. Outside. Outside. Outside online. Outside, Outside plus. Outside Plus. September 10th, 2022, a Grand Canyon rafting trip led by Western River Expeditions was running like clockwork. Exactly what the four guides wanted for the 31 passengers. Four guides for 31 passengers. Yes, that's fine. Many of whom have never been below the rim before or experienced the thrill of big rapids. The fifth of day of the eight-day trip started as usual coffee, breakfast, and camp. Then everyone climbed aboard the two fully loaded J-rigs, which are motorized 37-foot-long, 10,000-pound boats. The size I found, when I was reading that story, and it's like, okay, I'm so I'm thinking a bunch of people and, you know, a little raft and you're paddling along. This is These are a bigger ones. Rig. This yeah. is a there's a hard structure floor. There's boxes. There's pontoons. There's like there's it has a thirty horsepower outboard on it. Mm-hmm. A ten thousand pound pontoon boat. Fifteen float. passengers. That's crazy, right? That's huge. Everyone climbed aboard, and the crafts headed downriver in a gentle rain. Sounds fun. <laughs> Gentle rain. Compared to smaller human-powered ore boats that carry four or five passengers, the J-Rigs are more stable in rapids, but also harder to navigate in shallow waters and around unanticipated obstacles. By this point, the journey the group had safely negotiated the three notorious Class 5 rapids, Hans, Hermit, and Crystal. So everybody's having a great time. Everybody's getting used to what's going on. They're in day five. We've done all this. Let's keep going. Uh, early afternoon, the party approached the top of Bedrock Rapid, a perilous stretch of white water where the river is divided by a hulking island of Vishnu Schist, the Earth's oldest exposed rock. And if you see a picture of Bedrock Rapids, hmm. like this is 
something. Uh, this massive, they call it dread rock. Dread Rock. Dread Rock. That's, yeah, so because it's in the middle of the river, the river flows from right to left across mm-hmm. the rock, and then it splits up into a right finger and a left finger. The left finger is a very narrow finger. The right finger is the one you want to go down, but it's harder to get into. Yeah. Um, yeah, The first. The, so the first raft to approach the rapid was piloted by a highly experienced guide who led 60, has, has led 60 Western trips. He explained to his 15 passengers the hazards of bedrock and the strategy to run it. It was imperative to go to the right side of the giant rock because the channel to the left was dangerously narrow, filled with powerful currents. But the approach on the right side of the river is too shallow for big J-rigs, so the guide would drift in on the left and motor right as soon as the water was deep enough. Standard way to approach this route. So this is the way he, they do yep. it all the time. Every time. Here's how we're going to do it, so don't be worried. This is boom, 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 boom. However, the approach was extra shallow on this trip, so he would have to stay in the left channel until they were closer to the rock than usual. They call it dread rock because of the prevalence of accidents. There. Yeah. Everybody piles onto that right. rock. Flips. As the boat entered the rapid, the passengers cinched their PFDs, held onto the raft safety ropes, bracing for another rowdy ride. Right? This is what they've been yeah. doing so far. This is what we're here for. With a total of 133 Grand Canyon trips under his belt. So he's led 60 Western trips, but he's actually been on 133. Yeah. 133 down the same rapid, <laughs> same type of boat, yeah. same, yeah. you know. The guy knew bedrock well. When he was finally in deep enough water close to the behemoth bedrock, he revved the craft's 30 horsepower motor to make a hard right. The guide attempted to steer the raft to the right, but it continued to float straight, and the rig jumped up against the rock. River's powerful current submerged the front of the raft. Then the entire J-rig flipped upside down, and all 15 passengers and two guides wound up in the churning whitewater. Colorado River was lower and more technical than usual, a result of the decade-long mega-drought and the Bureau of Reclamation's decision to reduce water flowing from Glen Canyon Dam. This dynamic meant that bedrock had become ex- uh, especially tight for large motor rigs, which make up two-thirds of commercial trips on the river. They're saying that, uh, from what I got from the article, like you'd expect that this time of year for the water to be 12 to 15, 12,000 to 15,000 CPS mm-hmm. cubic feet per second, and uh, at that time... They've, they estimated the flow to be about 9,500. Mm-hmm. So it was fairly significantly lower than normal. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you have these multi-year mega droughts, it's uh, like it's it's hard on all, like you're, you're talking not just people rafting, but you're talking like farming and hydroelectric power and so on, right? It's, well, see, and last week we talked about a, another area in the northwest that is saying because of all the snow melt, yeah, they're going to have issues because of too much water. Exactly. Right? So they're going to they're going to have spring runoff right until right into September October. Yeah, is what they're expecting. Right. But even uh, Powell Mead, Lake Mead, yep. is they're saying is going to go up to thirty five percent. It's been to 22%. I, I'll, yeah. I'll have to, I'll, I think they, I, later on in this it talks about that. Anyway, lower water river in the Grand Canyon complicates runs and leads to far more wraps and flips 
and People Overboard, says longtime guide Michael Giglieri, who is co-author of the book Over the Edge, Death in Grand Canyon, which chronicles the many fatalities in the National Park. He's ran bedrock just a few days after the Western trip, noticed changes in the rapid cause not only by lower water, but also debris from a recent flash flood that had narrowed the navigable channel. Mm-hmm. So as we were saying bef- last week, was with too much water, all of a sudden it's wider and these rocks that you used to say, yep. see, you can't see now. Mm-hmm. And now here, there's all this extra debris and... Yeah, it's the, and the shallow. Rivers, the river's not getting flushed like mm-hmm. it normally would. And so the Grand Canyon has lo- logs and debris and the narrower channels and, and beaches are growing and, and so on. And so it's, it's a, it's, he's done 130 plus trips, but this is a sort of a river that he wouldn't fully recognize. Right. Before Glen Canyon Dam releases were cut back last year, typical daytime flows on the river range from 12,000 to 20,000 cubic feet per oh, second. Close. Yeah. Well, you said 12. Uh, when the river is that high, it is predictable and irons out of the rapids. Yes. Right? Which is, yeah. So that afternoon, the Colorado River was flowing at 9,040 cubic feet per second. By October, it would drop to 7,000. Ah, that's low. Uh, other guys say that a flow drops below 5,000 large motor rigs won't just struggle to na- navigate some rapids. They may not be able to get through them at all, and trips would come to a standstill. Mm-hmm. So that alone, I mean, this I don't know. This is just speculation on my behalf. But is there come a point where the guides have to say, you know what, forget the money. So safety's the issue. Well, yeah, I, and and so it really You would hope they would say that. You would hope they would, but you you need to make money, right? And if you have willing if you have willing customers to do the river and you say, well, you know, it's not really unsafe until you're at 5,500, we're at about 7,500, you know, you yeah, exactly. You're you're pushing your luck. Yeah. You're pushing your luck. Uh, even at 9,000 cubic feet per second, some of the river's most treacherous rapids are more dangerous than at higher flows, something the Western trip discovered. Not a great time to discover it. Mm-hmm. The second J rig on the Western trip managed to successfully navigate the same line and floated to the right of bedrock. Hit or miss. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rescuing passengers from the flipped craft along the way, many of the swimmers were repeatedly pinned underwater by the rapid and later told investigators they believed they were going to die. Eventually, 14 clients were pulled to safety, but one was missing. 30 minutes later, the rafter's body was located a mile downstream from bedrock near the capsized J-Rig. Unfortunate. Unfortunate, yes. yes. So it's, it's you know, one part of the, the country you're looking at way too much water. Which may cause, mm-hmm. you know, issues and possible injuries, death. And then you're looking at too little water. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a happy medium somewhere yeah. in there. And it, just looking at the news today, Quebec is flooded all through the eastern townships and the river is overrun its banks and houses are being flooded. And, you know, it's, it's, it is crazy. It's, uh, it's spring. You expect some flood waters and, but uh, right now, like in Quebec, it's massive rainfall, and and up near Algonquin, they're getting a ton of rainfall, and so it's just one of those things. It's, uh, yep. it's well, every year in Algonquin, you're always seeing somebody posting pictures of a washed out 
road going yeah, yeah, into yeah, some yeah. access point, right? Yeah. No different. I mean, that's been going on for mm-hmm. years. Uh, some some uh, guides and longtime boat uh, boatmen are saying the accident was just a random fluke. And John Dillon, executive director of the nonprofit trade group Grand Canyon River Outfitters Association, agrees. So the boat flip in Bedrock was an incredibly rare and tragic event. It is a reminder to us all that the river is char- is in charge and respects no one. Anything can happen to anyone at any time, even to the very best and most experienced. This death was the first drowning fatality for Western in its 61-year history. Hmm. So, I mean, you got to look at that. I mean, they've got to be doing something right safety-wise. Yes. This is the first. Well, it's a big boat. It's a big rig. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, th- these, are, these are pretty big craft. Mm-hmm. A lot of flotation. As climate change continues to shrink the West's uh, water supply and Americans seek big outdoor experiences in a post-COVID era, the accident is also a possible harbinger of things to come for one of the world's premier whitewater rafting destinations. The Grand Canyon Outfitters start their 2023 season in April. The wet winter in the Colorado River Basin bodes well for higher flows and easier runs through rapids. Last August, the Bureau of Reclamation took emergency action to save hydropower operations by reducing Glen Canyon dam releases from 7.4 million acre-feet to 7 million acre-feet. That's a lot of water. That is that is. When a lot you're of measuring water. in acre feet, it's like, mm-hmm. holy cow. <laughs> Agency will announce this spring if it will stick with seven for the 2023 year or increase the flow. They, they say, you know, climate change is not going away. Colorado River system remains overdrawn with no resolution in sight from the western states who fail to agree on how to reduce water consumption. Well, go to Las Vegas and get rid of all those golf courses. I know. You don't like need that. golf courses in the desert. Uh, even with the abundant snowpack in the Rockies this winter, Lake Powell is only expected to rise to 32% capacity up from its current historic low of 22%. Hmm. That's the the one I was trying to say here. I knew it was yeah. something like that. Lynn Hamilton, longtime director of the Grand Canyon Rivers Guide Association, says the tail end of last year's boating season offered a glimpse of what might be around the corner. It is not just the lower river that worries guides, but also the sudden rise in water temperature. Oh, yes. Which you don't think about, right? I know. When I read it, it was like, oh, I never thought about this point. Mm-hmm. Water released through the hydropower penstocks at the bottom of the dam, historically from depths of a reservoir hundreds of feet deep, now draws from Lake Powell's sun-soaked surface. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting those cool waters. No, you're getting you're, warmer You're getting waters. warmer water. Not only has the reservoir dropped dangerously close to the threshold for not being able to generate hydropower, but the project... A prospect of the Colorado River system no longer meeting the demands of the 40 million people who depend on it is also becoming real. Here we've got one of the seven natural wonders of the world with the Colorado River at its heart, but lately it feels like the Grand Canyon is just a place between two dwindling reservoirs. Uh, During the construction of the Glen Canyon Dam, there was concern that debris flows from tributaries would choke the rapids. Um... And now in places like Bedrock, you may just see one debris flow away from blockage of the river for motorized transport. You can't portage motorboat around a rapid like you can uh, ore power the boat. Yeah, you're not going to portage a 10,000-pound boat. Right? (laughs) 
Thanks to a little more water in the reservoir this year, the Bureau of Reclamation will be conducting a simulated spring flood called a high flow experiment. This this article really threw in some things, a information lot, that we've never yeah, thought about before. Yeah, right? a lot of details. Like yeah. they really dug into it, the author yeah. did. Uh, this high flow experiment will last for three days and send sediment laden water at four times the normal flow rate through the Grand Canyon. River guides and uh, environmental groups cheered the action, which will help restore beaches, clear debris, narrowing the rapids along the Colorado. And the last high flow was in 2018. Plans for experience in 2021, 2022 were canceled due to the low levels of Lake Powell. So it'll clean the river. It'll it'll flush out all mm. the debris and clean up some of the beaches that are growing too long and too too wide and see what happens. Uh-huh. While this year's wet winter has offered a reprieve, experts warn that one or two dry spells over the next few years could drop the river to a level not seen in 50 years. And while the 92 Grand Canyon Protection Act mandates river flows not go below 5,000 cubic feet per second, the law also states that requirement can be waived in the event of hydrologic extremes or power system operation emergencies. So when you're getting your water level so low that your hydroelectric dam may not work yeah, anymore. Exactly. That's an issue. Um, while the overall volume of water released from the dam may decrease, Dylan believes rafting is safe because the boating season intersects with hydroelectric needs, which is when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of trips run in the summer and travel during the middle of the day when the Bureau of Reclamation increases water releases to meet electricity demands of cities like Phoenix, where people are cranking up their air conditioners. So they throw, they want the hydroelectric to go to cover mm-hmm. all those air conditioners. They throw more water through. More water means good rafting trips, right? You'd think. What's what's neat is uh, along the same line is uh, MKC, the Madawaska Canoe Center. Center. They, they're on the Madawaska River. There's a head dam just above from them. And, uh, like, they used to do whatever but uh, release the water whenever they wanted. But they have an agreement now with MKC. They would stick to set hours. And mm-hmm. it's like something like 9 till 3 or something because the dam at MKC, it uh, it's just a head dam. It's not hydroelectric. Hydroelectric is farther down the river. And so it's a feeder lake. And it just feeds for six to eight hours a day, the lower end dam. And so it's, if you go down that river during the day, it's like, it's a, it's crazy. There's rapids and there's gates you can go through and it's like a full on river. But then you come down in the evening after supper, it's like, Hey, uh, where, where's the water? Yeah, who turned the switch <laughs> off? <laughs> it's, it's amazing to see the difference. It's something to see mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, they add that the industry will adapt as needed to changing conditions, but remains committed to accommodating a wide range of clients to meet the important social need. We are seeing a post-COVID clientele who are exceptionally appreciative of the opportunities we provide to bring balance and perspective to their lives. Uh, yeah, it's true. Once, I mean, so many people you got into the paddle boarding, yeah. the, the canoeing, kayaking, stuff like that. To get out on the water, to get mm-hmm. out into nature, 
during COVID and, and the lockdowns. And some people might poo-poo the fact that this is just basically the outdoor entertainment industry. This is just paddlers. But you know what? People's lives and mortgages rely on this resource to, you know, it's I, I sure you can go find a job elsewhere, I guess you'd have to. But, you know, if, if like some what that the main guy who uh, did 130 some trips mm-hmm. down the river 60 he guided himself this is his livelihood this is this is his career path that he's chosen well, you know, right? look at some of these these like say 61 years ago people weren't thinking wow we're gonna have droughts yeah we're gonna mega droughts yeah yeah no, so i'm not getting exactly. this business yeah no it's it's what they they enjoyed doing it took and, their fancy they started the business yeah. they built it up passed it on passed yeah. it on passed it on spent a lot of money and resources and this is a business that if mm-hmm. you stop running the boats then the business folds and people are out of work and yep. it's still you know i mean it's just like shut down the ski uh, slopes yeah how many people you put out of business yeah right? yeah so well also i think the thing is 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 the the rafters and anybody who's doing whitewater kayaking and stuff down these rivers, they are floating on the resource. They are not consuming the resource. Mm-hmm. The resource is there, but if it if if it's not managed properly, if we uh, put too many water parks in the desert, put too many golf courses in the desert, and you know, you're wasting a resource, and and it's badly it's being badly uh, maintained, and and it's a wasted resource in a lot of cases. Yeah. Oh. See what happens next. Like the, the river, pretty much, it's not dries up, but you know, it's there's not much left that makes it to the ocean anymore. Because there's yeah. like you're talking farmland, and and like Las Vegas itself sucks up so much water. It's incredible because it's a huge vacation location, right? So it's just think of all the wasted resources, and I don't think you complain about rafting as wasting a resource. They're just floating on it. They're just trying to make the yeah. Uh, speaking about rivers, floating on rivers, Wild Sites Columbia River Field School is returning in 2023. A 15-day program takes students down the river in canoes and teaches them about its complex social, economic, and natural history. Throughout the program, students will canoe through key sections of the Canadian side of the Columbia River camp on its riverbanks, and learn an immersive outdoor environment. i got to think that there's got to be more and more students interested in that kind of outdoor thing these days. Yeah, I don't know if it's for students. Like, you, you thing is, is uh, you need adults who run these programs, teachers, dedicated teachers who who are dedicated to teaching students these needed resources and, and these outdoor skills and so on. So if it's good good on these guys for reviving this program, for returning in 2023. It's uh, it's it's in demand, and well, it's, it's there, so people are going to use it. But mm-hmm. it's not always, in, in this day and age, with kids more interested in social media and computer games and so on, it's impressive that uh, that there's this much interest. I think there. I think, like I say, as much as everybody loves their social media and video game stuff, I think this, there's a lot of them, the high schoolers and stuff like that. Yeah. That, you know, I, I got to start thinking about stuff other than just TikTok. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And besides, going out on this will make an awesome TikTok mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna make some great TikTok. Yeah, videos. I'm gonna make some great TikTok videos this summer. <laughs> Students will learn important outdoor skills like reading maps, packing, cooking, setting up camp, and leave-no-trace practices. And most importantly, 
Students gain an appreciation for this watershed and the intricate role we all play in its protection. Participants will meet with a diverse set of guest speakers, including indigenous knowledge holders, scientists, artists, adventurers, and government officials. So that's a big round. I mean, they're getting a lot of knowledge about... Yeah, yeah. And you got to think something's going to spark interests in most of these kids. It could create a career path for somebody, right? Right. In addition to earning Lake Water Level 1 and Canoe Tripping Paddler certifications, participants in the program can also earn academic credit through a partnership with School District 8. I mean, that's only if you go that way. Uh, the academic credit can be transferred to other school districts in the Columbia Basin as well. Program is open to new paddlers and experienced canoeists alike, and Wild Sight encourages applications from youth of all backgrounds. Um, this is getting kind of late in the day here, but applications for the program are now open and will close Monday, May 22nd. Applicants will expect to hear back on May 31st. So you got up until the, the 22nd of May to throw uh, application in there. Yeah, I wonder if anybody from British Columbia is listening to this podcast. Ah, it might be one or two people. You got any relatives out there? <laughs> <laughs> I have a brother out there. <laughs> According to the program's application, the field school is very expensive to run. Wild Sight suggests a financial co- contribution of 1000 to 2000 per participant, which sounds expensive, but eh, not really. It's a 15-day program. Right? It's getting you a couple of credits. It's two weeks. It's getting you all your stuff. However, the organization has said that financial aid up to the full cost of programming may be available. Oh, wow. Go to wildsite.ca. That's wildsite, S-I-G-H-T, dot C-A for more information. Uh, yeah, you'll get more information about the program, what's offered, how to apply your application for all that sort of stuff on there. That sounds pretty cool, though. It does, yeah. Right? A lot of resources. Yeah. So check that out. Um, that'd be cool to have been able to do something like that. Yeah, there's like there's a lot of these things for kids to participate in. Like we've learned a lot about uh, the programs that Kevin Callan runs. Uh, there's a lot of people that do run these programs, and so it's. I don't recall there being programs like this when I grew up. We have Boy Scouts. It's just well, yeah. I, I was Air I didn't cadets. join any organized group like that. Yeah, but there was there was yeah. Well, I remember our my, I remember my uh, elementary school and my junior high school. We had a room full of canoes and paddles and life jackets and stuff that we'd use. Really? But it was just a it was like gym class type thing because we were right on we a did cri- trampoline. We're on a river. <laughs> well, the school back right on the river, right? So yeah, no, we never. That was all what we did away from school. Yeah, we did all that stuff away from school. There was no. Set up mandatory, yeah. structured, this mm. is how you do it sort of thing. Um, stand up paddle boards. Isle, the company Isle, I-S-L-E. You've heard of them before? Yeah. Creates completely new stand up paddleboard category with their new launch. Inflatable hardboards offer the performance of a rigid stand up paddleboard with the convenience of an inflatable package. And that's one of the one big thing is people say, you know, if it's inflatable, it's eh, not like a... Yes, it is different. It doesn't have the same firmness of a solid board. Mm-hmm. Like you can put a lot of pressure into these uh, inflatable boards, but they're still... So they're thicker and they're more... 
toy-like feeling, and they, they have a little squishiness to them. Well, I think that's what everybody thinks about. Same with, like, inflatable kayaks and stuff. You know, people are thinking, oh, it's more like a toy because you got to yeah. blow it up, yeah. right? Uh, inflatable stand-up paddle boards, you know, have a lot of advantages over rigid boards. They are lighter, can be transported easier, more beginner-friendly. However, due to the flexibility of the boards, they offer less protection against waves, can feel temperamental at times. But Isle's new Pro series of inflatable hardboards is said to provide a solution to this problem. So it's like uh, combining the, a hybrid. Sort yeah, of, right? and, yeah. Popularity of inflatable board paddle boards rose to new heights during and especially after the pandemic, as we know. Uh, people realize that spending more time outdoors is not only good for your physical health, but also your mental well-being. Paddleboarding offers an excellent way to be on and around water without practicing the craft for years. I mean, that's everything. Let's go down to the lake and we'll go to grab a cheapy inflatable thingy from Costco for a couple hundred bucks and yeah, get go to the cottage or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, as the name suggests, the new Isle Pro Series inflatable hardboards are for riders who have some experience in paddleboarding and want to achieve a bit more speed without sacrificing the versatility of inflatable boards. Inflatable hardboards utilize infinity fiber, a material innovation from Isle that makes inflatable hardboards 200 to 300% more rigid oh. than typical inflatables. That's, well, there that's you go. huge. Yeah. That is huge. Pro models also incorporate power fuse technology, a mechanically fused rail structure in the outer board circumference that decreases potential air leakage, improves maneuverability, and prolongs the board's lifespan. Because that's the, the thing is, you know, we've talked about this before. Do you go buy a $200 inflatable? Yeah. Or do you go spend 1500 bucks on... Exactly. Which one? Which one's going to last longer, Well, right? as a starter, though, it's easy to spend... Like, my starter board, which I bought last summer, was 350 bucks. Mm -hmm. It came with a paddle. It came with a baler bucket. came with a patch kit, a carry case, a pump. Everything was there for, like, three, three, 350 325 something like that. Right. So that's a... Hey, if it doesn't work out... I only wasted three fifty. Not fifteen hundred. Not fifteen hundred. Plus the price of a paddle. Exactly. Plus all the extras. And I can store it in a small bag. Right. Um. The solution eliminates common pain points with the inflatable watercraft categories by drastically improving stability, glide performance, and durability. All boards will, will feature the Isle Link ecosystem. A nose-to-tail connection system allowing you to attach accessories like kayak seats and footrests easily or to strap down layers, dry packs, uh, paddle accessories to a preferred location with the gear management system that replaces typical bungee tie-downs. Sounds like, uh, well, modern day be like Iron Man clipping on different pieces of equipment or back in the day, the A-team building up some kind of car to fly right? off a cliff. Other features include a click-and-go fin system for easy installation and removal, two-part folding fin box for more compact storage, a camera mount on the front of the board, and a premium wheelie backpack for effortless transport. Definitely Iron Man. Right? But, I mean, if you're getting into it. No, I know, no. I'm not. I'm I'm making fun, but I'm not, not making fun yeah. of it. No, that's what I'm saying. If you're, if you're getting into it, stuff something like yeah. this, perfect. 
Pro Series is available to purchase uh, directly from Isle. Prices are nine ninety five for Explorer Pro Series offered in two models, and eight ninety five for the Pioneer Pro Series offered in three miles. I assume these are American prices. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Huh. There we go. There's a lot there. There is. You yeah. know, and you're you're not getting the flimsy dimsy yeah. little. It's it's technology. Like if if it's going to sell, people are going to buy it. Then it's worth it to put in the investment of the research, the R and D to make a better product. And, right. And like, gotta admit, like from the first time uh, the first inflatable stamp paddleboard came out, they were a bit of a joke, and they they failed often and easy. And uh, now with uh, with the way technology is going, like they're getting better and better and better, and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Oh. It reminds me. Remember the uh, Quiet Adventure Symposium? Mm-hmm. There's a stand-up paddleboard maker there. Mm-hmm. Wooden, handmade wooden stand-up paddleboards. Those were works of art. Were they like four grand? They, well, yeah, they're they're they a little bit pricey, but they were super nice. You didn't believe me when I said I wanted a dozen. <laughs> Cheeky bugger. <laughs> um. We have a lot of topics to cover here, but they're all little small topics. Yes. So, Delaware Water Gap. They have a PFD rule. According to officials of the Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area, there are rules while paddling on the river as to when to wear life jackets. While it's good advice to always wear a U.S. Coast Guard approved vest, park rules make it mandatory to wear one when the river level, as measured by the river gauge at Montague, is eight feet or above. I don't know. It doesn't explain how they get that. They make that their measurement. Like, yeah. what, what's wrong with seven? Why, why not six? <laughs> why, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. But whatever. The heavy rains of this past week has put the river level at close to 15 feet. Uh, at 15 feet, the river, which is its own unit of the National Park Service, is officially closed to any boating activity. So right now you can't even boat on it. Yeah. Because it's it's too too high. River was just under 15 feet at 2 p.m. Monday, last Monday. Uh, the level was forecast to crest at 18 feet that day, or that night, and remain above 10 feet through the week. Water temperatures at gauges of tributaries to the river are now in the low 50s Fahrenheit. The 15-foot level, the NPS closes the river corridor and all access points. The Delaware River has its headwaters in the Catskill Mountains, and a rise in river levels brings colder water temperatures, swifter currents, increased sediment and debris, and increased hazards downstream. I was looking at one thing. People were talking, look at this high water. This is going to be awesome paddling. And behind them was a bridge. Okay. And you know, in lower water, you would be able to sail under that bridge. Well, the, <laughs> the way it was now, yeah. if you were higher than two feet, <laughs> you were not getting under that bridge. So hopefully... You're laying flat on your stand-up paddleboard. Uh, hope, no, people are getting in their kayaks. <laughs> hopefully, they're going the other way, because yeah. that's the way the river was going. And hopefully, there's no more bridges down there. <laughs> Yeah, awesome water to paddle on, but yes, yeah. So I had to look it up where it's located. It's uh, it's just 
northwest of New York City, uh, north of Philadelphia. The land in Pennsylvania, it's, it's on the Pennsylvania-New Jersey border. Yeah. Right? On either side of the river, uh, part of the Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area, just south of the I-80 bridge to just south of the Delaware Water Gap. Part of the river carries the designation of Delaware River Scenic River, a separate unit of the National Park Service. Official remind, officials remind park visitors that wearing a life jacket anytime one is on or near the river is a most important thing people can do to keep themselves safe. It is even more important when the river is high, cold, and swift. Hmm. It's funny that they're talk, only talking about the, the life jackets and not like cold water gear. Yeah. But I don't... I, Legislating anything in the U.S. is it's a difficult mm-hmm. task. But, I mean, at least they're saying, you know, you don't have to wear it all the time unless the water is... Water's high. And like I say, I, I wonder why they say eight feet and not like we were talking before we started recording with... What, why not six? Why not seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the old thing is, well, you can drown in an inch of yeah, water. exactly. Right? Like, so. But I think what it is is uh, it's maybe it's not the right conversation for the podcast, but it's just about telling people what to do and when to do it. And it's hard to tell people what to do. It's hard to give people rules because people don't like rules. Oh. And so what it comes down to is, listen, if we're going to go out there and rescue you, <laughs> right, because yeah. it, because if you're going to go out there without a life jacket, chances are you're going to die, and then we're doing body recovery instead of a rescue. Well, like we've talked uh, about a month ago there about the mandatory life jackets. Should it be? And people are just get their panties oh, on, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People got so angry. Yeah, we'll just leave that one. But anyway, yeah. If you're, I, I do like this. Fine, you got to have it with you, which is law. Mm-hmm. But. If it gets to this level, you have to wear it. You have to have it on you. You don't want to wear yeah. it before that level. Mm-hmm. Go to town. So, you know, some flexibility. And I think I think more people would be more receptive to the flexibility than the strict wear it at all times. Exactly. And I think right? that's it was a happy medium to go to. It, it gives people the comfort level of, of being able to, you know, hey, it's you know, I don't like rules. I don't like laws. So I'm going to do my own thing. It's like, well, no, above 15 feet or whatever then, or whatever, eight feet. Or- yeah. Well, that's sort of like at home here. You, did you see my post the other day about that new knife we got? We got this big chopping knife. Like, oh, yeah? It is like super sharp. <laughs> so I posted a picture of it. I didn't see it. Yeah, I posted it. I said, uh, using a, an extremely sharp brand new knife. Tracy said, don't cut your finger off. But she ain't the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> cut my finger off if I want to. But you cut yourself. Look at that. <laughs> if I'm in the kitchen. How'd you is- cut the tip of your thumb? Oh, I was cutting, uh, you know, you know, you get uh, melon. You're cutting sideways through it? And you cut the sideways through it. And before I turned around, it slipped a little bit. and just It just tapped the end of my thumb. Yeah. Like barely, like it tapped it. That's how sharp this knife is. <laughs> like Ginsu's looking at these people going, wow. <laughs> we could learn a thing or two. <laughs> right? Like I take this thing, I could chop right through a bone. <laughs> I bet you Dexter has a few of these. There you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, but she's not the boss of me, so I'm going to use those knives anyway. <laughs> if I'm in the kitchen, like I say, if I'm in the kitchen cooking, which I do a lot of. Damage will be done. 
there's a chance I'm either cutting or burning myself. Some days I'm doing both. Some days I'm doing both multiple times. I burned and cut myself with a hot knife. Do I remind you this this scar on my arm from the from the knife that went in? Yeah. If if you are ever in the kitchen to me and I pick uh, with me and I pick up a sharp sharp knife, you might want to just back off a bit because chances are. I'm taking me and you out. <laughs> Back away. <laughs> um, the Indiana Department of Natural Resources needs volunteer paddlers to collect wildlife data this summer. So if you're in Indiana or you're going, you might be able to help them out. From June 1st to July 31st. That's just around the corner too. That's coming up. Paddlers will be asked to document the wildlife they observe while on the water. Reports will help contribute to the Indiana Paddlecraft Wildlife Index, which is a pretty cool thing. I'll give you the uh, where to find that. Uh, it com- compiles wildlife observations from people who use canoes, kayaks, and other non-motorized crafts on Indiana waterways. Some key species they're targeting this year are bald eagles, beavers, turtles, great blue herons, great egrets, mink, muskrat, river otters, and more. Paddlecraft Wildlife Index documents the number of wildlife seen per hours floated and per miles floated. After several years, these numbers will allow wildlife managers to estimate changes in key wildlife populations over time, as well as with paddlers' help, Indiana Department of Natural Resources may also get insight into new locations where wildlife is living. So they may find out. We didn't know there was river otters up in that section yeah, yeah, of that yeah. river. And you find yeah. out there's a family living there. Mm-hmm. So they know, okay, well, we should maybe protect that little area yeah. because of it. Uh, if you go to in.gov backslash DNR. So I guess that's Indiana. Indiana.gov at yeah. DNR. Search. There's a big search bar there. Just put Paddlecraft Wildlife Index. I just put Paddlecraft. It's under Fish and Wildlife or something like that. But it'll come right up and you can just click on the link and it'll take you right to the index and tell you what it's all about, how to submit data, pictures, all that sort of stuff. Very that's, that's pretty cool. Cause, and again, that goes right back to the taking uh, ownership of your river. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because if you know there's a bunch of river otters out there and you can let them know and they set up some protection to help expand the population of river otters, Mm -hmm. that's going to be cool. You know, three years from now, all of a sudden, instead of seeing one or two, maybe, all of a sudden you see 10 of them. Exactly. That's cool. Right? Bald eagles, turtles, heron, all that sort of stuff. Because who doesn't like paddling down the river and seeing animals? Right. And, and make a, it's like a scavenger hunt. Mm-hmm. R- uh, river bingo. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's one. This would totally tick me off. Absolutely tick me off. The plans of hopeful paddlers whose trips were scheduled to depart from normal Norman Wells, Northwest Territories this summer, may be in jeopardy after Canadian North, an airline, has cut some of its flights to the community. Dan Wong, owner of Yellowknife-based Jack Pine Paddle, says he's had guided canoe trips booked for months for 40 guests. They're stressed out, and right now we're sitting with itineraries that just aren't viable. And so that does worry me. 
These are trips of a lifetime, and for some folks, they've actually saved up for years, and they've been planning for months. For now, Wong says nobody has canceled their trips. He booked eight staff to lead the expeditions over the summer, starting on June 29th. He says he learned about the reduced flight schedule when emails of itinerary changes started pouring into his inbox. Huh. So I checked on that online, and then I saw the schedule changes, and I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, he, well, and, and no one told, because I know they're, they're, they, they were talking about the mayor. He's uh, He says, <laughs> mayor was... I'm pissed. Yeah, is what he says. Uh, he says I also. He also thought about his previous work experience in a medical travel office. So I can tell you that's a busy place to work. There's a lot of people there, and they have growing medical needs, and people need to get in and out of their communities. It's not clear how many flights have been cut. Canadian North is not responding to requests for comment or clarification. Cut to the schedule. To Norman Wells was apprised for Mayor Frank Pope. I'm more pissed off than anything uh, else that anybody called us and gave us a heads up. Yeah, so people, thing is, is I, I can I can see I can totally get why the people are pissed off. It's like you have plans. You people have to get into and out of communities. People might be relying on these flights mm-hmm. for for uh, for uh, hair air care flights or whatever yeah. for surgeries or for who knows what for vacations or family reunions or va- whatever so you can't just last minute decide hey by the way we just cut our itinerary by 50% and uh, we're not doing these flights anymore it's like this well, is well I'm not telling anybody this I know, is happening until, until until too late right well and like i say these people they you know oh yeah we're going july 1st <laughs> for 3 weeks we're going up to Norman Wells, this is, and we're going on a trip. Save for years. We've for been this. saving for three years to go do this. This is our retirement trip, and then well, ooh, we can't go because that airline is only going in. Yeah, you know, is going in at the middle of June, and the next one isn't till yeah. We're a monthly flight instead of a weekly flight, or yeah, or whatever. So the thing is, is if you're going to make a change like this, like the proper business model, the proper you care about other people model is uh yeah we heads up in in 24 months we're going to be ratcheting that back business so we're you know what i mean like if give people a year or two heads up to say listen this is what's happening so that way there's room for another airline to say we'll pick up those flights we can expand in that area well let me just we'll just wait on that one a second uh in addition to the guide trips from norman wells wong was working with the aelic fund to have Nunavumiat youth participate in a 12-day canoe trip on Great Slave Lake. He's heard from organizers that the reduction or cancellations of some Nunavut routes have caused significant disruptions to travel plans. Hmm. So, I mean, that's something as simple as that. You're getting these youth up there to experience this 12-day trip, and now it may be shot right out of the the air, right? I can fix any problem if I have enough time, Wong said, but with something this complicated to hear about it basically at the last minute, it just makes things really difficult. The schedule change comes days after the federal government approved updated terms for the 2019 merger of Canadian North and First Air, though it's not clear whether that's the reason for the change. So when you're talking about other air carriers, well, a couple of them are merging up there. Yeah. Or have merged. So is First Air picking up these flights? I doesn't sound like it. Huh. 
Some of the new terms allow for scheduled flights to be reduced to once a week in communities served by Canadian Canadian North and 25% price increases oh. per year. So we're not going to give you we're not going to fly in and out as much, but we are going to charge you more. <laughs> we're going to How ch- is that a business model? <laughs> the inconvenience is going to cost you more, right? <laughs> I'm giving you 50% less for 25% more. <laughs> and you're going to like it. And you're going <laughs> to like it. Well, unfortunately, a lot of them don't have a choice, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, Some towns in Northwest Territories have been dealing with a single flight to the community since the pandemic, which delays everything from mail to medical travel. And that's one of the big things they're saying is people are trying to schedule, you know, you got to fly, fly to Yellowknife or something like that from a community mm-hmm. with no road travel. And you need to get down to Yellowknife for a sur- uh, surgery or, or anything. Well, yeah. you've got to maybe go a week beforehand. Yeah. So what do you, you got to stay somewhere and then you may have to stay a week afterwards. Yeah. So you're there for two weeks as opposed to a couple of days. Yeah. Hotel and food. That's and, expensive. Yeah. Especially these, up north. And these flights are not cheap in the first place. Right? Mm. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I. But I, it, getting back to why I, I did this whole thing was with the canoe tripping. Yeah. I would be absolutely oh. livid. Well, I just think about people who, like the David Lees and the and the Martin Garsters of the world, who plan these epic trips on on some of these northern rivers out out west, and and so if they had a planned trip and they've spent all winter planning it, and suddenly they're going, what? Well, look at Jim Baird. He does these trips to throw on. You know, he he's got sponsors help him out, yeah. and I mean, it's his livelihood. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he can't get somewhere. Huh. You know. He's just spent sponsor money and all that other stuff. Sounds like the government's a little bit involved, too, on this one. Mm-hmm. Because of the merger of the two airlines. Law offices of Dewey, Dickham, and Howe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the very last one I've got here is, uh, depending on what side of the fence you're sitting on, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. International Canoe Federation said Russian and Belarusian athletes who do not support their state's actions in Ukraine can return to events as neutrals. International Olympic Committee sanctioned Russia and its ally Belarus after Moscow invaded Ukraine in 2022, but last month recommended that their athletes be allowed to return to the international competition as neutrals, which means they they can't compete under under their flag. Right. Uh, Well, because you see the ones um, under the Olympic flag, compete under the Olympic flag, right? Table tennis, pentathlon, fencing, judo, and taekwondo are among the Olympic sports to have readmitted athletes from the two countries. Independent panel will be set up to consider all applications from Russia and Belarusian athletes uh, wishing to compete as neutral athletes. The ICF board will maintain the ban on all Russian and Belarusian canoe officials. The officials will not be allowed to sit in any official capacity or at ICF events. Uh, Ukraine's uh, Canoe Federation says it had met with the ICF in recent weeks and discussed the inadmissibility of allowing Russians and Belarusians to compete. Interesting. It is. uh, You know what? The big part of me says for the athletes to be held accountable for their government's actions. You shouldn't. 
Should, I don't think you should. Unless, I, I agree. Unless that, you are standing up and out and out saying, I support my government's actions. Okay, then you're, Then you know what? Sorry, buddy. You're not coming to our van. Yeah. Right? But there's a lot of them. They're only there to, they're athletes. Yeah. They're not they're necessarily, they're not, they're not there pepping well, up the government. No, not the government, but their country. They want to, yeah. they want to, they want to compete for their flag. Like anybody, any Canadian who managed to get to the Olympics or any high levels of sports is like, I, I, you know, this is for Canada, yada, yada, yada. Oh yeah. It's not for the Canadian government. It's for, for the country, Canada, for yeah. the people. And now in this situation, because of the ban, these, these athletes will have to, Compete under either a neutral flag or a what would you call it? Like for example, the Olympics, they compete yeah. under the Olympic flag. And so when you see them at the front first, uh, you see it. I've seen it a few times where athletes would walk out uh, with the, all the rest of the Olympians, and they'd be under the uh, Olympic flag, and it's like, oh, that must be the Russians. Yeah. You know what? I think if I was at that level and I had put all those years of training mm-hmm. and I was not in support of what my government had done to get us all banned. Yeah. I would have no problems competing for competing under a neutral, Mm -hmm. a neutral, but there have been people that have competed for other countries Yep, on behalf of, you know, people dual citizenship going, you know, fine, you guys don't want me to do this here. Then I'm going to go to another country. We occasionally see it between American, U.S. and Canada where like a Canadian has, uh, you know, grew up partially in Canada, went down the States, it became, you know, has a family down there, parents down there, coaches down there and they compete under the American flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen it a few times. Yeah. Well, like I say, my big thing would be like, number one, it, it's hard to hold because you know that like even this, the, there's a lot of citizens in Russia and Belarus yeah. that don't agree with what happened. Sure. So you can't help hold them accountable. So you can't hold all athletes accountable mm-hmm. either. And just my own personal feeling that I would like, I mean, I can only say this from an armchair yeah. sort of thing. I would have no problems competing under a neutral flag. Because yeah. at some point, if I can't compete for my country, mm-hmm. I'm competing for myself. Yeah. I put exactly. all this time and effort yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to compete for myself. The other thing I have, I, I, my thoughts that ran through my brain, how are they going to screen athletes that say they are neutral just to get into competitions? Well, you'd never be allowed to carry the flag, mm-hmm. but that doesn't stop you from pulling out of a duffel bag on the finish line. So, I don't know. I, I really don't yeah. know. It's interesting, though. At least we didn't go too far into this because the last thing we need is Russia to start listening to us and... Uh, Oh, we might get banned from going to Russia. <laughs> Ooh, never thought about that. Go Russia. <laughs> Just in case I want to go there one day. <laughs> we got a connecting flight. Oh, you got anything else? There's <laughs> just that comment about I'm worried about the Russians <laughs> oh, mad. Derek's, the, Derek's I don't worried. I know if the Russians mad at us. He's going to get pulled out of his bed in the middle of the night. <laughs> Oh, it's probably going to be one of your kids because they just puked or something. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I got, man. That's all I got. May this is an interesting mis- mix mash of. See, it's uh, just a big mismash of stuff, yeah. isn't it? It was a good episode. I enjoyed it. I learned lots. Lots and lots and lots. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got, man. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream all our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Just go to Google, my friend, and type in Paddling Adventures Radio and hit enter, and it will list it will find billions us. and billions, if not trillions of sites <laughs> where you can listen to our episodes. <laughs> or... Just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can download or stream all the episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 